This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. There have been countless conversations on disability representation in film and TV. The general consensus in the last six to eight weeks with a bunch of shows premiering across multiple networks is, yeah, it's getting a bit better. There's some improvement. It's encouraging. Is that the case in children's films, though? That's something that Emily Shavers is researching. Emily is the founder of True Faces. Hey, good morning, Emily. Nice to chat with you today. Good morning. So, Emily, why'd you start exploring this question? So, in my capstone project in school, we were given about 21 different topics and... Of all of those topics, there was only one that was about children, which is what my background is in early childhood education, and I wanted it to be applicable to the field that I was in. So we had the option of studying like shows, children's books, or children's movies. And ultimately, you know, I wanted to do children's movies, you know, I don't want to analyze an entire show and, and I knew that I had access to kind of that material. So I was like, all right, we're going to look into disability representation in children's films and what that even kind of looks like. Before I get you to start unveiling some of your findings, what was your process? What were you looking at? So for our sample, we had to A, define what kind of disability we were looking at. So we specifically honed in on physical disability representation through either a physical difference of a character or a mobility aid of some kind. Um, and then from there, we chose movies that where a specific disabled character had already been identified. So um, you think of Soul Surfer with Penny Hamilton or Wonder with Augie who has a facial difference or even um, the one that I've kind of recently been working on is Finding Nemo and Finding Dory. Um, so we chose movies specifically where these characters had been identified. What has your research found? So to kind of start, first of all, when you're looking at children's movies from an analytical lens, like there were so many more disabled characters than I had noticed originally. You know, when I'm looking, I'm like, okay, like we know Nemo has a a lucky fin, as they call it, but there's actually there's so many characters actually who have disabilities. They talk about like an octopus with only seven tentacles, or there's uh, in Finding Dory uh, a whale who's visually impaired, and so you start to pick up on things that you didn't actually look at before. Um, now, when we were we were creating our sample size and we were trying to find movies where dis- specific disabled characters have been identified, the biggest thing was that it's a small sample size. Mm. We only found um, 11 movies where disabled characters were primary, like, apparent characters. So that was kind of the first thing that we noticed is, like, you know, when you're looking at physical disability representation in children's film, it, it's a small batch. It's a small batch of the thousands of children's movies that are out there. Um, so, so seeing that we do need more representation. Now, what I am finding, though, kind of on the flip side is that the disability that representation that is there 
is is fairly positive. Um, we're seeing a lot of, you know, I'll take Finding Nemo, for example, because like I said, that's the one I've done most <laughs> recently. He is a character who isn't really held back by his disability. There's no kind of limitations placed on him. We see the the worried parent side of things, which is actually, you know, a pretty real and accurate oh, yeah. conceptualization oh, yeah. of of Marlon, like of of parents that we see, but it doesn't seem to let Nemo kind of stop him in what he's doing. And and same thing for, like I mentioned, that visually impaired whale, Destiny, you know, she's still out there trying things. She's using her support systems. And so so there is actually a fair representation of, like, positive attributes to these characters, but they are still limited. Yeah, it, it, it speaks to two things being true at once. The quantity might be low. The quantitative research says there's not necessarily a ton of material, but that's what makes the qualitative side of it even more important, that if it is going to be limited, it better be done fairly well or really well. Yeah, absolutely. And and that is what we're seeing, which which is fairly positive when, when looking at it. All right, Emily, that's enough of uh, your school talk here. Well, you know, it's not school hours right now. Let's get you away from that. You're, uh, you've been actively trying to have more fun since you moved to Hamilton. I know that's an ongoing project for you. So you're taking the plunge here. You're going to go to a Hamilton Bulldogs hockey game. Emily, you're from the Peterborough area. I cannot believe this is the first time you've gone to a hockey game. You know what? Being visually impaired, it's never something that I thought I would go to or enjoy because I can't see the puck. And honestly, I don't know much of the game other than um, the the puck goes tries to go in the net, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, you say being from Peterborough and Peterborough Pete's games, and that would have been convenient. Um, the only time I really ever had an interaction with the Peterborough Pete's is I rode their bus when I went to the School for the Blind um, to, to get to school. <laughs> But otherwise, no, I, I never went. <laughs> There's some irony to that. Like, hey, I've been around the Peterborough Peets, but I haven't gone to see them go play hockey yet. Yeah. Uh, so, Emily, uh, you're, you're taking the plunge. You're going to go to this game. Uh, I've Even though I'm also uh, vision impaired, legally blind, uh, I, tend to, I tend to go to a lot of sporting events, so I can maybe be a little bit uh, of, of a sounding board for you here. What are your burning questions about best experience in a hockey game? So I am so curious about if there's any like tools, tips and tricks you have for being able to kind of follow along the game. Like I, I, I I'm under the impression that there's uh, like commentators, but like I, I imagine that in like a TV hockey game, like, do you actually hear that in the arena? How do you kind of follow along with like what is happening? So a piece of advice that I was once given when I used to go to a lot of Montreal Expos games in my youth was to bring, now here's where I really date myself, Emily. Uh, I used to bring a, a, a Walkman with me, like, like an AM, FM radio Walkman. Mm -hmm. And I used to listen to the radio broadcast while I was sitting in the stands to follow along with the game that Ooh. way. Um, I'm, I'm positive there has to be a local Hamilton radio broadcast. Now, I don't know if you can find an AM FM radio that you can actually get into <laughs> one of these arenas. That might be a totally that might be a totally different question of dated technology. Right. But I think in terms of following the game, that is certainly an option. Uh, the people that you go with, you can certainly ask them from time to time to maybe give you a little bit of play-by-play -play or a little bit of description. But one of the things that I'll recommend to you is if you're going to enjoy yourself, sometimes you don't even need to worry about the immediacy of the play-by-play -play and just listen to the crowd 
around you. Listen to the roars, listen to the excitement, listen to the goal, uh, goal horns, listen to the groans and grunts when the goal goes into Hamilton's net. There, there, there's something about just letting yourself immerse in the sonic experience of the game that is going to ensure that, that maybe you're not necessarily following the outcomes and the ins and outs and the X's and O's and the game of inches, but you'll just allow yourself to feel very present in the moment. Something about like that atmosphere and being there and and the people around you. I I will say kind of comparatively, I went to a uh, like Mohawk College basketball game um, for the first time just because one of my friends was there and I popped in to say hi. And and again, I I kind of understand what you mean when you say just like the feel of the crowd, the the way that people are are interacting. And you know you you can't maybe see that the ball went in the net, but everybody started cheering, so you're just assuming <laughs> that that's what happened. Yeah, and like a chant breaks out, and you can take part in the chant, which is always kind of fun. I remember I went to a, a Vancouver Whitecaps soccer game in the summer of 2014, and again, I, I did not follow the ball at all for the 90 minutes that I was there but I happened to be sitting in the supporter section who had all these songs and chants they were singing and I just was part of kind of like a karaoke party for 90 minutes and and it was right? just it and, was, and even kind of being able to people watch like you have those parents who are like really really passionate about their kid being on the ice or those people who are like diehard fans who are just uproaring when something happens and ref that should have been a foul and honestly just people watching sometimes and there's also just an opportunity beyond the people watching to just chat with people around you uh, i went to a, a montreal canadians buffalo sabers game uh in december and it, again, once again, when I was sitting way up in the bleachers, I eventually worked my way down to the lower bowl. I will not describe the nefarious ways in which I did that. <laughs> um, but as I was sitting up in the last row of the stadium, just chatting with the people around you, joking around, just like, hey, how you doing? Um, finding that kind of communal experience. And generally, when people go to a sporting game, a sporting event, a sporting game, I sound like such a lame-o, uh, <laughs> sp a sporting event, they're, they're really, like, the people are there to be engaged, right? They're there for a social experience. If they want to just uh, put their head down and stay home uh put their head down and be quiet they would have stayed home and i guess that's kind of the mindset i need to to think about when going into this yeah. it's like you know that th these are the people who are there for that social experience because you're right they could have could have stayed home and seen the same thing are, are you going with friends are you going with some people I, so ironically enough, it actually was not my choice to even go oh. to this. Uh, we're taking some students from the School from the Blind to this event. So, I mean, there's this additional layer of, like, I can't even tell them what's going on, but the, there'll be other people around for sure. So, I, a good group. Emily, I know you uh, like to take care of yourself, uh, physical fitness regiment, et cetera. What, uh, what, what snack is going to get you, uh, going to appeal to you from the, uh, from the snack vendors around the arena? Ooh, you know what? This is again like another thing. I'm like, I'm not even sure what's available to me. Like, is, is this this is is this like a popcorn situation or a hot dog? Or like a... <laughs> my my you got any recommendations? Okay, my general advice is keep it simple, right? Because there's going to be a lot of like jostling around and moving, so you you don't want your hands being <laughs> too too full. Uh, one thing that you could do is you could call the arena in advance and maybe if ask them if they've got any kind of like really funky food or check out YouTube to see if there's anybody who's had any reviews about. food at the arena but really and truly emily when i'm going to a sporting event i'm a simple simple man hot dog popcorn ice cream diet coke and maybe oh. a, maybe a cold adult beverage and not all at one time sometimes you got to do this stuff in, in phases yeah but hot dog popcorn ice cream diet coke 
and adult beverages. Uh, some combination of those five, you're going to be a very happy person. All right. Thanks. Sounds good. <laughs> hey, Emily, I want to hear about your experience afterwards. I want to hear if you actually enjoyed your time at the game. Absolutely. <laughs> That's Emily Shavers, the founder of True Faces. Coming up after the break, Valentine's Day is around the corner, which means there's a lot of expectations of expressing outward love. But what does it mean to practice self-love? A new Paula explores the idea of loving yourself for your own well-being. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.